Good to see you. I'm, I'm glad that you are here. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Robert Andrews, one of the pastors here at Elevate Church. I'm so glad you are uh, joining us today. We're wrapping up a series we've been in now for four weeks called You Asked For It. What we've been doing is giving you guys an opportunity to submit questions or topics you'd like to hear addressed from the stage. And uh, we've, we've really uh, enjoyed the questions. But the truth is, we all got questions, right? I got questions, you got questions, we all got questions, right? Everybody got questions. Some of y'all drove your question to church this morning, right? You're like, why did I buy this car? Some of y'all are like, why did I marry this person? Some of y'all are like, why did I have this kid, right? We all got questions, right? Just kidding, but we all, we all really do. We got questions, and so we've allowed you guys an opportunity to submit questions or topics so that we can try to answer them from a biblical perspective or really from a Christian worldview. And so uh, if you missed any of the messages in the series, you can go back and check it out online. Uh, but today as we wrap up, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, uh, we're, we're talking about a, a topic that's a little uncomfortable, all right? And so when I say it's a little uncomfortable, I don't mean that it's R-rated, like you need to cover up your kids' ears or anything like that. Uh, but it's just a topic, really, that does make people uncomfortable. Comfortable, but I promise you that if you'll stay with me, uh, if you'll pay attention, uh, I feel like God will do something in your heart and do something in your life. All right, so can y'all stay with me? Everybody, can you nod your head like this? Just make sure you bring your head up, or we'll think you died. Okay, and so uh, I need you to need you to participate. Uh, but what's the question we're going to look at? The question again, it's a tough question. Question that was submitted. This is the question we're going to look at: Is this why should I give God any of my money? Why should I give God uh, any of my money. Now, here's the deal. If you're the one that submitted that question, uh, I, I don't want it. I don't want to offend you by anything that I say today. And I, I hope what I say doesn't come across as as mean or anything like that. Because the truth is, probably each and every person in this room has wrestled with some form of this question uh, in your life. Why should I tithe? Why should I give God uh, money? But uh, what I want you to understand is this question: Why should I give God any of my money? That question, the verbiage is flawed. Okay, the way it is written. Uh, really has some some serious mistakes, and so I, I just want to uh, I want us to address the verbiage so that we can all make sure our hearts are in the right place. And I'm sure if you submitted this question, you didn't mean it this way. But uh, uh, the first thing I want to point out about this particular question is that it says my money. Everybody say my my. Uh, and so here's the deal. I understand there's this temptation for all of us when we work hard, when we earn wages, and we really you know really sweat. Uh, I understand there's this temptation for us to feel like this is ours. The great theologian Donna Summer back in 1983 said, I work hard for my money. Anybody remember that song back then? I work hard for my money. And so there's this temptation for all of us. When we really work hard, when we, when we, when we earn wages, there's this temptation for us to think that it's ours. But if you were a Christian... If you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, hopefully you believe that the Bible is the Word of God. If you're a follower of Christ, you would believe that, right? That the Bible is the Word of God. So if the Bible says something, you and I really need to pay attention to what it's saying. And so what I want you to understand is that if you're a Christian, really nothing that you have is yours. It's not. In fact, I'll prove it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 26, here's what the Bible says. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everybody say, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there are times in our life where we feel like this is my car, where we feel like this is my house, where we feel like this is my piano, where this is my keyboard, my Xbox, whatever. But the truth of the matter is, it ain't yours. It ain't mine. 
It's nachos, okay? It's God's, all right? Uh, but Robert, I built my house. Robert, Robert, I, I bought my house. Well, it doesn't matter because you are using God's resources. You're using God's resources. It doesn't matter if you paid someone to build your house or if you bought the materials to build your own house. The truth of the matter is God produced the trees. He made the trees that produce the lumber that your house is made of. I really messed this one up in in service this morning. Uh, But the clothes that you're wearing, if they're made out of wool, guess what that came from? Don't say cotton. I said that this morning. But it came from a sheep, right? You didn't make no sheep. God made the sheep. If you're wearing cotton, guess where that came from? Came, did I say it right? Came from, it came from a plant. You didn't make the plant. God made the plant. You and I are using His resources. See, you and I don't have the power to create something from nothing, but God does. God just spoke this earth into existence. He said it, and there it was. He has that power, but you and I don't. We can't create something from nothing. We can create something from something else, right? But what I'm saying is the something else, the something that we use, it all belongs to God. So it's not your money. It's not my money. It's not my house. It's not your house. It all belongs to God. And it's really important for you and I to know that if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have anything. We wouldn't. Again, the Bible is the Word of God. We go back to it for everything we need to know. I want you to see what Acts chapter 17, verse 28 says. It says, for in Him, talking about Christ, for in Him we live and move and have our being. They'll put that verse up on the screen for you in just a minute. But in Him we live and move and have our being. Again, Acts 17, 28. What does it mean that in Him we live? It means that in Him we're able to live. See, it was Christ who created everything. If you don't believe it, you can go to John chapter 1 and you can start in verse 1. That Bible says, in the beginning. That verse says, in the beginning was the Word of God and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And it says, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. We are alive today because of Christ. It's in Him that we live. It's in Him that we move. You you do know that if you are alive today, it's not because you set your alarm, or it's not because you drank milk yesterday, or it's not because you took a vitamin yesterday. If you are alive today, it is because the goodness and greatness of God. If there is air in your lungs, it's because Jesus Christ woke you up this morning. It's because He is good. You and I don't have the ability to sustain ourselves Only God does. He is the author and the sustainer of life. And it's because of Him that we're able to live. Is there anybody in here who knows they're alive because of the grace of God today? Man, it's in Him that we live. And it's in Him that we're able to move and have our being. You say, yeah, but Robert, I worked hard. I worked hard. Listen, if it wasn't for Christ, you wouldn't be able to do that. You wouldn't be able to work. And I want to show you this again. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, look at what it says. It says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Who gives you the ability to produce wealth? God. Who gives you the ability to earn a living? God. Who gives you the ability to work hard? It 
is God. The problem with so many of us is that we give ourselves way too much credit. We think we did this. We think we did that. But I don't care who you are. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't have anything. You wouldn't. Don't you dare leave here thinking that you've got what you've got because you're great. You got what you got because of the goodness and greatness of God. So again, that word my, why should I give God any of my money? It's, it's the wrong, it's the wrong word. The next problem with this question as it's written, and again, if you submitted this, and I, I don't want to offend you, but it almost sounds as if you don't want to give God any money, which in my mind indicates additional problem. So first would be that you just don't understand royalty protocol. Pastor, what is royalty protocol? Well, so to start with, can we just agree that Jesus is the king? Can we agree that Jesus is the king? Some people are like, I don't know. He might not, he might not be my king, but Jesus really is. He's the king of kings. And I love how the book of Revelation describes Jesus coming back in Revelation 19. John the revelator. Here's what he says about Jesus. He sees this heavenly vision Jesus coming back to wage war. And look at what he says about Jesus. He says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There are a lot of people who say, man, pastor, is it okay to get a tattoo? I don't know, but that sure sounds like Jesus got one on his thigh. You know what I'm saying? King of Kings. What does it say? It says King of Kings. Man, he is tatted up, got a leg sleeve. He is a bad man. You don't want to mess with him, right? But it says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, folks, you might not acknowledge him as your Lord, and you might not acknowledge him as the King of kings, but the Bible says there is a time coming where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess exactly who he is. He's the one true king, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the faithful and the true. He is the King of kings, whether you acknowledge that or not. But again... Our problem is we don't have much interaction with real royalty. We, we're so far removed from royalty here in America especially that we, we just don't understand it. Like this past week, I got to go on vacation with my family. Uh, we, went with, uh, we went with my father-in-law and my, my stepmother-in-law. So we went to Orange Beach, and it was really nice, okay? But uh, I took Amanda, let her go. Amanda and let her go, let my wife go with me. It was fun. Uh, then I let my kids go, too. Uh, I let Brianna Grace go, Sadie Kate go, and I let Lawson Cruz go. And so Bill, Amanda's dad, had bought this wagon so that we could, uh, so that we could you know, pull Lawson around, make it a little easier. And it was a little easier, but it made things a little more ridiculous, too. 
okay? Because here's Lawson. <laughs> Y'all saw him picking his nose on that video there. He gets that after his mom. I don't know why she does that stuff. Anyway, but so, 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 so we got this wagon, and it's, not just, it's got this canopy on it, okay? It's got this canopy on it. And so it reminded me, as I was looking at it, it reminded me, if you've seen those videos, those old movies where they might be carrying a, an Egyptian pharaoh or something on their shoulders, and, you know, they've got this nice little shaded area. That's what it reminded me of. I mean, Lawson was living the life of luxury as we're sweating bullets out in the open sun. I mean, it is hot and Lawson's just in his wagon sipping from his sippy cup, eating Cheerios out of waving at people. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm seriously watching all this going, that should be me. I'm the man of the house. That should be me. They should be pulling me around in that wagon. And, but the wagon has a weight limit. And so I wasn't able to get in it. Uh, but seriously, he was living a good life. Well, is that what it means when we say royalty protocol? This is how you, you address royalty. That's not what I'm talking about. We don't just drag Jesus around in a wagon like he's some court of king like that. We also watched The Lion King this past week, and we saw a little baby Simba. I've never seen the original, but I saw this, li- this real lion actually saying, I don't know how they did that. This real lion was talking about, I just can't wait to be king. Anybody seen that movie? Uh, he, nobody's going to be able to tell me what to do. Is that what we're talking about when we say royalty protocol? That's not what I mean either. See, a king in biblical times, and really even among royalty figures today and and foreign dignitaries, even among them, when someone goes to see a king, when someone goes to see a king, they always present the king with a gift. Our presidents usually present other presidents or other foreign dignitaries with a gift, and those foreign dignitaries and presidents also give gifts to our president. You say, I don't know about that, but, but it's actually true. How many of y'all have ever heard of the, the Resolute Desk? You've heard of the Resolute Desk? Anybody? That is the desk that's actually in the Oval Office. Every sitting president has used it since 1880. That desk was given by Queen Victoria to Rutherford Hayes, the president, Rutherford Hayes. And so every sitting president, again, has used that, that gift that was given. Theodore Roosevelt was given a zebra and a lion from the king of Ethiopia when he was the president. Uh, George W. Uh, Bush was actually given a puppy from the president of Bulgaria, and the president of Indonesia actually gave George W. Bush a Komodo dragon. Again, there's this long tradition of presenting gifts to kings or to, to royalty that dates all the way back to biblical times. I want you to see it. It's in 1 Kings chapter 10. It talks about the queen of Sheba coming to visit King Solomon. And I want you to see what happens. This starts in verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 10. The Bible says, When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold, and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. So she comes to Solomon. She's asking Solomon all these questions. And so Solomon shares her, his wisdom with her. And watch what happens in verse 6. The Bible says, She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdoms is true. Your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half 
was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be the Lord your God who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. And watch this, verse 10. It says, And she gave the king 120 talents of gold, large quantities of, of spices and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So do you see that? She presents King Solomon with all sorts of gifts. She is inspired by the wisdom that God has given him. And so she even says, praise be the Lord who has set you on the throne. She gives gifts to royalty. But what's the purpose of the gifts? Well, the purpose of the gifts is actually to say something about the relationship that exists between the two individuals. The gift actually says what you think about the person you're giving a gift to. And and we know this is true, right? Because the gift that you give someone else even today says something about what you think about the person you're giving a gift to. But what about this? How many of you have ever received a gift from someone and you've kind of been offended by the gift that you got? Come on now, be honest, right? Man, I heard about this husband, man, and his, his wife wanted a fancy sports car for, for, for her, their anniversary, man. And, but he wouldn't just come out and say that. She was always just dropping these hints, you know. And so she said, honey, I want something shiny that goes from zero to 200 in less than five seconds. And so he actually bought her a scale. And nobody's seen or heard from him since, you know what I'm saying? But, I mean, sometimes people give us gifts and we're like, why would you give me this? I remember years ago, man, I was, it was Amanda's family, one of her family members. We, they, there was a big gift under the tree for me. And I was like, ooh, it's going to be good. I love big presents. And so I opened it up. You know what it was? It was a poinsettia blanket. Why in the world? I'm sitting here thinking, what? Is, and when I opened it, they're like, oh, I saw it and I knew you would just love it. I was like, why in the world would you think I would love a poinsettia blanket? Pastor, what'd you do with it? I gave it away. I re-gifted. Anybody ever do that stuff? Yeah, you, you better be careful what you give me. I'll give it back to you next year. You know what I'm saying? My face was like, what is this? But again, the gift that we give someone, it indicates what we think about the person that we're giving that gift to. And it's the same way with God. We don't give God money because he needs our money. He doesn't. But when we give, we are acknowledging his kingship, that he's the king, that he deserves us. And when we sacrifice, when we, when we give in such a way that it really is a sacrifice, man, it tells him really, really how we feel. See, in Luke chapter 21, Jesus goes to a church service. He's in a church service, and the way that they used to collect the offerings was there was a big box up front, and everybody would walk up front, and they would, they would drop their offering into the temple treasury. And so Jesus and the disciples are watching all this go down, and man, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. I want you to see what happens. The Bible says this. In Luke 21, verse 1, the Bible says this. It says, as Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. So you see that? Man, there are people who are just dropping stacks, man. I mean, they are, they are, putting, they are putting a big 
big offerings in there, big offerings in there, but watch what, watch what happens. And so he also saw in verse 2, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. And he says this, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had. So Jesus sees this woman who gives two small copper coins, and he's like, wow! Him and his disciples are, did you see that? And the disciples were probably thinking, oh yeah, I saw it. Did you see that guy? He looked like Santa Claus dragging in that big old bag of money. He needed help to dump it in the temple treasury. And Jesus like, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus says, did you see that lady put in those two small copper coins? And they're like, yeah. And Jesus says, that was amazing. Why? They're thinking, why? They're thinking, why? And he says, because she actually made a sacrifice. See, the other people were giving, but it wasn't affecting them. It wasn't really a sacrifice. They were giving out of their excess. They were giving out of their abundance. Now, why do you think, honestly, why do you think this, this widow was willing to drop her, her, her last two coins into the temple treasury? You think it was because she, she, she had been brainwashed by religion? Do you think it was because she was so in awe of the temple priest and his big hat? Do you, do you think it was that? Or... Do you think it's because she realized that the king of her heart, that God had never let her down and that God had always provided for her? See, see, I'm telling you, the gift that she gave says something about what she felt about God. And your giving and my giving does the same thing. It, it, it actually says what we think about God. God. And so for the rest of the time that we got together, I want to show you four things that giving does. Four things that giving does. If you want to write them down, uh, here you go. The first thing I want you to see is that when we give, when we give, we are demonstrating obedience. And God always blesses obedience. When we give, we are demonstrating obedience and God always blesses obedience. Uh, Did you know that God wants your obedience more than he wants your loving words? Did you know that? It's true. I want you to see what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Everybody say, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's really easy to memorize scripture. You know, there's not, there's, you know, some of it's real easy. Hey, if you love me, keep my commandments is what Jesus says. And so again, Robert, are we commanded to give? Absolutely, we're, we're commanded to give. There are some people who don't believe that. But what I want you to understand is that in the Old Testament, they practiced a method of giving that was called a tithe. It was where they actually gave 10% of their increase, 10% of their income. They brought it to the treasury. They brought it to God's house. Well, there was a time where Israel stopped practicing the tithe. And do you know how God responded to that? I want you to see what he says, Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Again, this is God speaking. God says this, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? Now, let me stop for just a second. How many of y'all have ever been robbed? My house been broken into before, my car been broken into. Man, uh, you know, I've been robbed. And when you get robbed, how does that make you feel? Bad, right? How many of y'all are just like, yes, I got robbed? Nobody, right? Unless you're an idiot. Nobody does that. You're, you're upset when you get robbed. But what about this? And be honest, we in church, 
How many of y'all ever stole something that wasn't yours? Some of y'all are like, I ain't raising my hand. Look, if you're raising your hand, first off, if you're sitting beside somebody that is raising their hand, just make sure your wallet's still in your back pocket, okay? You never know. <laughs> but if you're sitting beside somebody who didn't raise their hand, I don't want to call you a liar, but you're probably lying. Because here's the deal. You're, you're, I have a hard time believing that. You never walked off with a pen that wasn't yours? Come on. How many of y'all ever been, somebody gave you a pen to use, and you were like, ooh, that's a nice pen. Just me, pray for me, right? You, you, if you didn't, if you raised your hand, if you didn't raise your hand saying you saw, you, you mean to tell me you never saw like some gum or some candy on a table that wasn't yours? And he was like, anybody ever do stuff like that? Like a cookie? Yeah, yeah. Now we being honest, like we having church up in here. That's right. And then what about this? How many of y'all, if you didn't raise your hand, you mean to tell me you never been walking in the grocery store and you got over to that grape section and you was like sampling? That's stealing, man. When I was a kid, the grocery store actually sold candy by the pound. There was an aisle that you could go down and scoop candy. Anybody remember that? I was all the time sampling that. I learned it from my mom when she was eating them grapes. Just kidding, don't worry about it. But you know what I'm saying, right? But, but I mean, that's stealing. That's what that is. That's what it is. So look at verse 8, though. God says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are you robbing me? And God's response in tithes and offerings. <laughs> Man, to steal, first off, it, it's real stone cold to steal, but to steal from God, right? That's like legit, man. That's, that's some problems. Look at verse 9. He says, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So don't miss this. Because the nation of Israel had stopped tithing, because the nation of Israel had stopped giving God what was rightfully his, the devourer was coming in and causing all kinds of chaos in their life. But God says, put me first. Test me in this way. Put me first and I will fight the devourer for you. I don't know about you guys, but if I can keep the devourer from devouring things in my life, that's what I want, right? So if it means I need to give, that's what I'm going to do. In fact, what happened after early service this morning, after our 9 o'clock service, was one of the people who were here came up to me and they said that several years ago, I had preached a method about testing God and seeing, about tithing. They said I gave them a 30-day challenge. I don't even remember doing it. They said I gave them a 30-day challenge. And so they said, yeah, I'll, I'll find out. But they said that every since that challenge they've been tithing and god has always provided for them it's amazing how god does that we're commanded to give and there are a lot of people who say well that's the old testament that's the old covenant we don't have to live under that old covenant anymore i've heard people actually say that well if that's you let me just let you know that's the dumbest thing you can ever say that's the dumbest thing you can ever say the old covenant, but we don't have to do that. Well, the old covenant also said, thou shalt not murder. Is that, since that's the old covenant, does that mean we get to kill people nowadays? Some of y'all are like, can't we? Because there's some people in my life I could deal without, right? No, you can't do that. You're not supposed to murder today too. 
And so Jesus even confirmed the tithe in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. He's talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to people who followed the law to a T. I mean, they did everything it says. And look at what he says in 23, 23 of, of Matthew. He says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Don't you think if we're followers of Jesus that we should do the things he tells us we should do? Yes. And he says, you should tithe. Yes. So when we give, we're demonstrating obedience to God and God always blesses obedience. The second thing that I want you to say, I got to hurry up, is when we give, we get to partner with God in ministry. When we give, we got to partner with, we get to partner with God in ministry. The truth of the matter is God didn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. He doesn't need our money. He owns everything already, and he can do anything. Psalm chapter 50, starting in verse 9, says this. God is speaking. He says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. He does not need our money. But when we ask, do I have to give God any of my money or do I have to give? Again, it sounds like we don't want to do something because it's a negative thing. Like giving is a negative thing. Listen, you're never more like Jesus Christ than you are when you're giving. You're not. And it implies that you don't want to support the things that God wants us to support. And that reflects a problem. Because if you're truly a believer in and a follower of Jesus Christ, you want to see his kingdom furthered. And if there's a way in which you can help that become a reality, that you can help the kingdom of God be furthered, and you can help people be reached with the gospel that reached you, wouldn't you want to support that? Wouldn't you want to support that? See, there's a fundamental problem when somebody professes to be a Christian, yet they express that they really don't want to support the gospel that saved them. And so what we would really need to ask ourselves, if that's how someone feels, is really have they been saved by the gospel? Because tithing and giving are one of the ways that you and I get to partner with God in ministry. When I got saved, it was because I went to a youth camp in Eupora, Mississippi. And do you know why I was able to go to a youth camp in Eupora, Mississippi? I was able to go to a youth camp in Eupora, Mississippi because a church paid for it. And you know why the church was able to pay for it? It was because other people gave to that church. Other people partnered with the ministry of God. So when we give, we demonstrate obedience and God blesses obedience. When we give, uh, we get to partner with God in ministry. Third thing that I want you to see is when we give, uh, we actually get to put money in its place. We put money in its place. When we give, it is a very real and tangible reminder to you and to me that everything we have belongs to God. See, I wonder, I wonder about this. How many of you have ever given to somebody else who's in need. You gave to somebody who was in need. Anybody, a couple hands. If you ain't raising your hand, you're stingy. Nobody likes you, okay? All right, so, all right, so if you, if you raise your hand saying you gave to people, to somebody else to help them out, what about this? How many people in this room have really made a sacrifice financially for somebody else? You gave to help someone else and they didn't use the money the way that you thought they should use the money, right? Like maybe you gave them some money, you sacrificed for them, and they use that money that you gave them to go out and buy beer. Or they use that money to go out and buy drugs. Maybe you gave them some money to help with house bills and they went out and bought a big screen TV. 
I don't usually carry cash. But when people approach me asking for money and I happen to have cash on me, if the Lord tells me to give that money to them, I I always do. But if it involves the exchange of bills, not like change, but I'm talking about like if there's a dollar bill or a $5 bill or a $10 bill or something else, if there's, something, if there's a bill that is exchanged where I, where I give them those, those bills, I always lay hands on them and pray. You can ask my wife. I, that's what I do. We went out to eat one time, and this couple came up to me with a sad story. They needed some help, and so I had money in my pocket, which I usually don't carry, and the God said, give it to them. And so I gave them that money, but then I put my hands on the man real quick. I said, let's pray. And so I said, Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this couple. Father, and I thank you that you love them, and I'm giving this money to them in your name. And I'm giving them this money, believing they're going to use it to actually buy things that they need. And then I say, God, and if they use that money to buy drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, or something dumb, Father, I pray that you would strike them. I pray, Father, I pray, Father, their beds would be infested with the fleas of a thousand camels. I pray that, and it gets real tense. They're like, I don't know if I want to use this or not. But that's what I do. God, don't let them take advantage of your generosity. That's what I pray. Man, if we get upset when people use the money we gave them for things that we don't think they need to use that money for, and we're made in the image and likeness of God, right? Do you ever wonder if God looks at the way we spend money that he has given us. The money he's given us to live on and to extend his kingdom. And I wonder if sometimes he looks at the way we spend money and goes, what? Really? You, that's what you're going to spend it on? See, when we give to God, we're showing him that we believe he's our provider. That's what we're showing him. See, see, the truth is, you and I have a choice. We can put our hope in a dollar bill. We can put our hope in money. Or we can say, God, I know that this world thinks this is what provides, but I know that you're the one who provides. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. He said this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and money. You can't pursue greed and pursue God at the same time. And so when we give, we're telling God, my hope, my trust, my faith, my security, it comes from you. Well, there's one more thing that I want you to see that giving does. I'm trying to hurry up. But the fourth thing that I want you to see that giving does is when we give, we're transformed. When we give, we are transformed. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, folks, tithing and and giving, these are ways that you and I can allow our treasure to train our hearts. Because you give to the things that you you love, right? You, You naturally give to the things that you love. And so when we actually give, what we're telling our heart and what we're telling our will is that we love God. And so that's why we're doing it. Because our mind has been transformed, we allow that to transform 
our heart. We say, hey, you know what? We're going to put him first. And so as we opened our service, we kind of talked about the Lord's Prayer a, a little bit where we said, hey, your kingdom come, your will be done. What I want you to understand is that when you give, you are really saying, Father, your will be done in your heart, in my heart. Father, your will be done right here on earth. And we want your kingdom to come. So the question, why should I give God any of my money? Maybe, maybe the better question is, why would you not? Why would you not? Is he the king of your heart? If he's the king of your heart, he'll also be the king of your pocketbook. Do you really see God for the king that he is? And if so, it should be a joy to give. Let me, let me, let me close this out with some words that the Apostle Paul says in 2 Chronicles, in 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 6. The Apostle Paul says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. How many of y'all want to reap generously? You want God to just pour out blessings. So here's what he says. He says, each of you, each of who? Each of you, each, each of us, each of, each of people who are going to follow, call themselves followers of Christ. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And when we give, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The real question is, do we trust our king? Do we trust the king of kings? If we do, it'll be demonstrated by our giving. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But I wonder today, if there are some followers of Christ in this room, who at times in your life are just like me in that you have this temptation to think that what you have is actually yours. I'm telling you, there are times in my life where I'm like that. And if today you just want to say, you know what, Father, that was wrong to me. Father, everything I have is actually yours because the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If that's you today and you just want to say, hey, you know what, Father, forgive me for that. I, I'm just going to ask you right where you are. You, you lift your hands so I can pray for you. Amen. A lot of hands. Amen. Amen. Father, I pray for these who have raised their hands today. I pray for myself. I pray that you would forgive me for thinking that what I have is a result of anything that I've done. Father, what I have is really the result of your goodness. And each of us should be able to pray that prayer and mean that in our heart. Father, I thank you for providing for us. I thank you for giving. I thank you for being generous. And I pray that you would help us all to be more like you. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. But maybe you're here today and you're just not a follower of Christ. 
Maybe you think you are. But you really can't say that Christ is the king of your heart today. Maybe you've just been putting on a show for others, but you want to give him your heart. Maybe you walked in this room today so far from Christ, and you've come in and you've heard about this good God, this great king who loves you so much he was willing to die for you. And he says, if you'll put him first, he'll take care of you. And you say, Pastor, that's what I want. I want to follow that king. I want to give my heart to that king. If that's you, you know you need to give him your heart and you know you want to be saved today. You're tired of playing that game. I'm going to ask that you just pray this prayer. Father, today, forgive me for all of my sins. And I pray today that you would save me that you really would be the king of my heart. I confess you as Lord. I confess you as Savior. And I ask that you would mold me into a completely new person so that when others see me, they see a difference. And that difference is you living in my life. So Father, thank you for saving me. Again, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, but I wonder today, if you prayed to receive Christ, if you just do me a favor, if you prayed to make Christ the king of your heart, would you just lift your hand so that I know the Holy Spirit's moving? Amen, 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 amen. Father, we thank you for new life. We thank you that you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Father, I pray that as we live our life, the way we live our life would be an expression of that truth. It's in Jesus' name that I pray.